The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who, from the beginning, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided, after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. There's something truly disheartening about feeling disqualified. I don't know if you remember... 2011, the track and field championships, the first major event after the previous Olympics when the new track and field star Usain Bolt was breaking all of the records in the 100 and 200 meter dashes. And all the eyes of the world are fixed upon him to see if he'll break another world record, his own, and become even faster as the years go on. And after a false start, he was disqualified. It was as if the whole world was sighed and had this heavy heart of just feeling that we missed out on something perhaps majestic and great to be witnesses to something truly incredible. It was just so disheartening. He didn't take it so bad, but I think everybody else did who were watching. Or how about those times when you're online and signing up for something on a website and then there's those pictures to prove that you're not a robot, right? You know what I'm talking about. Click on all the pictures that have a bridge or a boat in them and then you'll get to the next step and somehow you missed a picture and it doesn't let you proceed. And you're starting to think, am I a robot? What's going on here? This is not fair, disqualified, right? It's particularly sad when those feelings of being disqualified happen in our relationship with God. When somebody says, well, I just can't get back into prayer or going to church because of this or that thing in my past life, that I think has disqualified me from God's love or from a community of faith. It's certainly disheartening when we hear that. But today's readings remind us that in God's sight, we're never disqualified. We're never missing out. Whenever we're feeling that we're missing out on something in life or feeling disqualified and we get that disheartening, discouraging sense in our hearts and minds, 
What God is doing at that time is he's qualifying us for an even greater task in the future that we may have nothing even know about at that point in our life, that we may know nothing about it, perhaps, or we have just inklings of it. This is what's going on in our first reading today with Ezra and Nehemiah. Both of them have been disqualified from their jobs in their former Israel. Ezra is a priest. He's not just any priest, he's like the super priest because he's the great, 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 great grandson of Aaron, Moses' brother, the head of the tribe of Levi, and priests at the time were to work in Jerusalem in the temple offering sacrifice. Ezra's a priest by birth, but there's no more temple. They're no, no longer in Jerusalem. They're in exile in Babylon, and he has no work. So for more than 30 years, he does general laboring tasks in the cities of Babylon, and he steeps himself in God's word, in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. He steeps himself so much in the study and memorization of God's word that over the years, he just becomes so familiar with it and so much part of him that God used those 30 years of preparation for something grand that we'll see. Nehemiah is a governor without a nation. He was a governor in the area of Jerusalem and now he too is in exile. He's no longer a governor of anything, of any leader or any political party. He's the king's butler in Babylon. He's the king's cup bearer. And so his job is to make sure nobody puts poison in the king's cup at every meal. Not exactly the job he was trained for before. An important one, especially if you're the king, you want somebody watching out for that. But King Artaxerxes, for the sake of this talk here, we'll call him King Art. But King Artaxerxes of Babylon has Nehemiah as his right-hand man, as his butler. And Nehemiah is in every planning meeting for building of new cities, for the economy, for strategies, for military kind of control. Nehemiah has an inside scoop for all of this for years. So that when the people start going back to Israel after their time of exile in Babylon, after the Persian and the Babylonians let them go free back to their lands, everybody didn't go at once because they were in exile for almost 80 years. So a few generations had passed and people were getting used to where they were. But a few thousands would go at a time back to the Holy Land, back to resettle Jerusalem and rebuild and restore the fallen ruins of their former glory. And so Nehemiah hears of the first 40,000 who have gone back and he hears of their struggle. He hears that Ezra's over there, but it's not going well and everything's still in ruins and they're constantly being attacked by the Samaritans and other nations around there and they're getting nowhere. They're spinning their wheels. So Nehemiah asks his good friend King Art, hey, can I go back and help my people? King Art had already kind of seen that he was saddened and he wasn't the kind of joyful butler he hadn't been noticing for the previous several years. And so he lets Nehemiah go back to Jerusalem And Nehemiah goes back now with all of this knowledge and strategy and ways of rebuilding that he learned from King Art from his years there as his right-hand man. And King Artaxerxes wasn't a bad leader. He wasn't like your good Christian kind of benevolent king and leader. But for a secular leader of the time, he was a good strategist and he got things done. Nehemiah gets on the scene and he rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem, which were necessary to protect the people, and he does it in just 52 days. It's completely miraculous how he gets everything done. 
He has building materials sent from different places that he had contacts with from working with King Art, and the rest of the place gets rebuilt in such a short period of time, having people work in different shifts and helping one another. Ezra now is encouraged by, Ke by Nehemiah being back on the scene, and Ezra now begins to develop the worship on the front porch of the temple, which is still not being rebuilt yet. And we are told in our first reading today from the book of Nehemiah that Ezra stood up from early morning and read from the scriptures until midday. That's a long first reading at Mass if you're going there, right? It's no wonder the people put up their hands together saying, Amen, Amen, when he was done. I wonder what that Amen was for. If, okay, thank you, Ezra. That was good now. <laughs> Have a seat. But we see here the people weeping and the people rejoicing because their worship is back, their community is back, and they're rebuilding. But all of this was invisible to Ezra and Nehemiah just a few years before. They felt they were missing out on everything that their ancestors had achieved and had worked at in the Holy Land of Jerusalem. But God was preparing them for some big task. God has a task and is preparing each and every one of us for something great in our life as well. St. Paul in our second reading shows us that differences don't disqualify us in God's sight. The image of the church that St. Paul gives is of the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ and members individually of it. Not all of us are eyes or ears or hands. We're all different body parts to this church, to the body of Christ here on earth, with different roles to play, with different strengths, talents, and weakness, and yet we all complement one another, just as Ezra and Nehemiah did. Because when Ezra was let go from Babylon and able to go back to Jerusalem, the king said, do you want any soldiers, any armed guards to guide and protect you, any materials? And Ezra said, nope, I'm just going to trust in God. I don't need any help. He got there and he regretted he didn't ask for a bit more help because it was difficult. Nehemiah him, when King Art asked him if he wanted any help going back, Nehemiah had a whole book list of things that he needed. Materials for rebuilding, armed guards to protect him and his people going back, and received all of the help he needed as well. They were both different in their spiritualities, different in their understanding of what needed to be done, but both were used in God's plan, and both were necessary and essential. This year, we're beginning to go through the Gospel of St. Luke in our Gospel every weekend during ordinary time. And Luke's Gospel could be kind of the one of the unsung hero Gospel, or the ones in which those who appeared to be missing out on other things or disqualified in society are raised up and prepared for something great. It's in the Gospel of Luke that we get the parable of the Good Samaritan, where we get Zacchaeus's conversion and giving back the money he had stolen back to the poor. It's in St. Luke's Gospel where we hear about the prodigal son who squandered everything that his father had as an inheritance and has come home and into the welcoming embrace of his God, of his father. I don't always like to relate everything to the pandemic and homilies on the weekends, but I think the Lord has placed it in my heart to do so this weekend because just sometimes it's good to talk about other things, right? But I think today in the Gospels and in the readings that we've heard is a reminder for all of us that God is preparing us for something great in the future. Right now, with all of the hardships, with all of the feelings of disqualification that many people feel at different levels, whether it be 
small businesses feeling disqualified from being able to help things through and go forward, whether it be our students just feeling that they're missing out on those extracurricular activities, whether it be the newly ordained priests that we talk to often who are kind of missing out on the usual stuff of parish life when they're first ordained and the community events and everything, the list goes on and on. Maybe we're feeling we've been disqualified from family events because we can't gather so easily and we wonder, Lord, what's going on? Perhaps, just perhaps, in these last couple of years, just like with Ezra and Nehemiah, God's preparing us to be qualified for a great task that he has for the church and for the world when we come out of this. Just perhaps he is getting us ready for a great restoration of society, of family, and of our church communities. And so in the words of Ezra at the end of the first reading, let us not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is our strength.